In our Bible study tonight, we're going to be dealing with abounding in the face of doubt. Abounding. Abounding in the face of doubt. First Corinthians chapter number 15, abounding in the face of doubt. You know, I'm no, I, am, I am no historian and neither will I pretend to be one, but I'm very sure that one of the worst times that our country ever experienced was during the 1920s and 30s when a, two cataclysmic events happened uh, right beside of each other. It was called the Great Depression, which many of us know of, and then something else that happened right here in our own state that we live in and up through uh, Kansas and Oklahoma too and over to Colorado. That was called the Dust Bowl. Uh, two humongous events that really uh, tested the tides of people and really uh, tested the backbone of this country in many different ways. But what happened in those times was that during those dreadful years is that sadly, even though in times of great depression and heartache, you have people that will still take advantage of folks. Still take advantage of folks. Uh, there were these men that were going around uh, from place to place, especially during the Dust Bowl areas. Uh, promising better futures, brighter tomorrows, and the sunshine and the, and the, and the golden state. Uh, promising better futures and uh, search for gold in Alaska. Uh, come to Washington, come to Oregon, come west, uh, young man, as the old song says. I mean, they were just saying, come on, come on, come this way, come this way, come this way. And uh, there were promises of jobs, and, and many people went. Uh, a lot of people went that way. And uh, you can probably guess why they wanted them to come. Uh, oftentimes, more people means more wealth, maybe more taxes, more and greater revenue. Many of those people fled to California, hoping, just hoping for a job. And when they got there, they got a job. And a lot of them did. They get through. The only problem with that was this, is that when you stop picking one fruit, guess what? That's it. They're going to find somewhere else to work. you got to find another farm to work on, another place to work at, and somewhere else to go. And uh, those uh, wonderful thoughts and ideas that we're going to go out west and just really uh, strike it rich did not pan out to be so. But can I tell you this tonight and assure you that God is not a white-suited salesman? Amen. Selling bottles of elixir or promising you better tomorrows and hope for the future and just uh, a, a brighter, sunshiny day. That's not God. God's promises, my friend, are sure. They're steadfast. They're perfect. And they will come to pass. God does not take pleasure in trying to trick people or to slight people into spending all that they have just so that he can put them to the curb. And God's word here today is reminding us that we can always be abounding in the face of doubt. Abounding in the face of doubt. A word is here to let us know there's great abundance. Great abundance. And steadfastly serving the Savior. Steadfastly serving the Savior. 
One of the things that was happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you know anything about 1 Corinthians 15, you know that, that this particular chapter is what many would term as the resurrection chapter. It is the resurrection chapter. Uh, it's the chapter that uh, explicitly outlines and details for us uh, Jesus' resurrection, our resurrection, and without Christ's resurrection, then we have no hope of eternal life, basically, is what he boils it all down to. And when you come to the climax in verse number 58, um, you ever heard somebody giving a speech? Uh, I mean, I'm not that great of an orator, so I've never had this great experience, but somebody's giving a speech, you know, and as they're giving a speech, I mean, you can feel the energy begin to move in the air, and, and just about... Uh, I don't know, seven-eighths of the way through the speech. He's almost done, or the speech is almost done. You can feel the crowd start to cheer and get excited, and people are starting to clap and get, get happy about the speech until there's almost a roar by the time that the, uh, at the end of the speech comes. And really, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 58 as uh, Paul's standing ovation to the resurrection. It's his standing ovation. I mean, uh, people are starting to clap and people are starting to get excited because of what he's been saying. And he just burst out into uh, a uh, really just a praise and a laud to God when he says, especially in verse number 58, 57, but thanks be to God. I mean, can you say anything else whenever you begin to realize that one day, my friend, you're going to leave this world and you're going to another world? Can you say anything else whenever you know and understand that whenever you die, that this world will not, that tent, that tomb will not be your resting place? But absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Uh, can you say anything else after writing a chapter like 1 Corinthians 15? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in our text tonight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a wonderful text. A wonderful text. A text that lets us realize that we can abound in the face of doubt. We can abound in these things. And that at the same time, we can be perfectly steady. Perfectly steady. I'll talk about that here in just a moment. Because in my mind, those two words seem to go against each other. Unmovable, yet abounding. Steady, or is really, it's the word where we get our word sedentary, but abounding. Abounding. Moving forward. Growing. Growing larger. Whatever you might think of it like that. But there is great abundance of there is a great abundance of steadiness when we serve the Lord. Abounding, even though there may seem doubt in the future. This church in Corinth was being plagued by doubt. Plagued by doubt. The, reason, the whole reason he has to write 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 is because there were some false teachers that had come in and basically had told them that there really is no, that the resurrection, uh, that there is not going to be any resurrection. Another place in 1 Thessalonians, uh, you find that uh, there were some false teachers there that had actually told the church that the resurrection was already past. 
Too late. Sorry. So sorry. There's a lot of fuss about the resurrection and these false teachers and what they say. So there's some doubt that comes on the scene. These Corinthians were facing a great amount of doubt. And perhaps some of them were scared or lonely were perhaps wondering if the resurrection was real still. And Paul writes to them this particular chapter to encourage them and to bolster their faith. We see, first of all, a projected future. A projected future. If we're going to have great abundance in times of steadiness while we serve the Savior, then we need to see we have a great future ahead of us. Amen? I'm glad to report to you today that I do not fear hell. I do not fear death. I do not fear the devil. Why? Because Christ is my Savior. And I have a resurrection that's coming and promised to me by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us here in this particular passage in verse number 58 that we need to make sure that as we're facing times of doubt and times of struggle and times of these things, that we must be abounding, but we must remain steadfast. We cannot move off the rock in which God has placed us on. We must continue to stand. Though some may tell us that these particular things that it is not that, that God's will does not concern this United States Congress. You know what, my friend? God's will still concerns this church. And it still very much concerns me. And we need to make sure that we're standing, continue to abound, but yes, be steady in all the things that God has called us to. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, we talked about this many times, but uh, in the month of January, but one thing that you find in the Word of God is that we ought to abound in hope. First Corinthians, excuse me, Romans 15. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the Holy, through the power of the Holy Ghost. We are abounding in the hope of God, abounding in Him. No matter what. We can face the chilling hand of death, but we can still abound in hope. Why? Because we can trust, just like in Luke chapter number 16, when you have the rich man that goes to hell, and Lazarus is carried into Abraham's bosom by what? The angels. The angels carry him away into glory. And praise God, my friend, I abound in a hope one day that whenever I pass away one day, that I'm going to wake up and there's going to be some angels beside me carrying me on to glory. That's what angels are. You know that, don't you? They're messengers. They're not the verses. They're not mediators between us and God. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. But praise God, they're messengers. They're helpers. We see in Lake 16, they carry Lazarus unto Abraham's bosom. Man, won't that be cool to see? Just taking you on to glory. Praise God. Because I can tell you this, my friend. I won't know how to get there. All right? I've never been there before. <laughs> if I woke up and I was dead, and I was, I'd say, I don't, where, where do I go? How do I get there? Where is it at? I don't even know. They say, come on with me. We'll, we'll just take you on there. We'll take you on there. Where are we going? We're going to go see Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't know how, how long does it take to get there. I don't know. I've never died. All right? So uh, I, I don't have a clue. But praise I can hope in that. Amen. Looking for it. I don't know how it all works, my friend. But I know this, that one day I'm going. And I can still abound in hope. I mean, steady, abounding in hope that God has given to me. 
But look, as I said too, there's a contrary part. Not only do we abound, but we're also unmovable. As I said, that to me seems very contrary. How can I abound, but also be unmovable? To me, something that is unmovable doesn't seem very abounding. But, the way that I think of this is when Paul says to the Colossians, he says, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Think about that. The gospel is moving, but we don't move away from it. The gospel is moving, but we don't move away from it. You say, what do you mean? Just look, just turn around. And look at those missionaries. Some of you took some tracks in your hand. What does the gospel do? It's moving. It's going from here to there to place to place, but we don't move away from it. We stay close by it. We stay close next to it. We rest in the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think of an oak tree. That's abounding. It's growing. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But... What is it? It's unmovable. It's unmovable. Now today, my, uh, our neighbor was so helpful to us, and we had a little oak tree that perished over here in the front yard during the ice storm. He came over and it had toppled over outside of there. You know, what a great illustration. Not, not rooted at all in the ground. Looked like it was okay. But I tell you what, it's not abounding anymore. It was movable. Are you going to be uprooted? Are you going to stay firm to the gospel of Jesus Christ? The biblical example for us is Psalm 1-3. And, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's what God wants us to be. We have a projected future. We have a resurrection. We can abound in this thing. We can remain unmovable. But then look to our Lord. I love the Lord. I love the stories of God and of Jesus Christ. Think about those stories for a moment. What was Jesus doing whenever he was in the boat? There was a storm. Sleeping. What was he doing whenever his disciples were toiling and rowing? He was praying on a mountain. What was he doing when Lazarus was dying? He was a couple days away in another town. <laughs> Whenever Jairus' daughter was sick to the point of death, what was Jesus doing? Healing somebody else. Whenever they laid his body in the grave, what did he do? He stayed there three days and rose again. Christ is the perfect picture of always abounding, yet unmovable. Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, though he was facing severe persecution, said these great words. He says, none of these things move me. But, listen to the rest of the verse. He says, but I must finish my course. See, there it is again. Unmovable, but yet always abounding. Moving forward to the glory of God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that's the way the work of the Lord is for us. 
The work of the Lord for us is that we stay steadfast to the gospel, to the Lord, to our Savior, to the book, but yet we're always abounding. We're moving forward. None of these things move me. I'm not moved away from the gospel. Do not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. I'm not moved away from the hope of the resurrection. One day when I die, praise God, I'm going to heaven. Amen? But you know what? I need to be moving forward. That ought not to be enough for me. I ought to say, I need to move more, move, move it forward. Perhaps you've been tossed around like the disciples. Perhaps you can't figure it out. Perhaps you've had a rough season, a rough go at it. My friend, remain steadfast. Remain unmovable. But may I say this? Keep about. Keep about. Keep growing. Keep serving. Turn your Bibles over to the book of Matthew, chapter number 6, and verse number 24. Matthew 6, verse number 24. These verses are wonderful verses. Jesus said this to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 24. He reminds us that. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than rain, more than meat, and the body more than rain? And behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns, yet Yet your, father, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies, how uh, are the field, how they grow, they told not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the other oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles see. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let's say that again. But seek ye what? First. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the mark, for the mark, for the mark shall take thought for the things of itself. So it's sufficient unto the day is the evil there. Uh, if we're going to abound in times of doubt, times of distress, times of heartache, if we're going to abound in these particular times, we must see that we have a great joy in a projected future. God's already, already promised to us great things. Wonderful things. He says, if you'll seek me first and all my righteousness, he says, I'll add all these things to you. I'll put them to your account. You don't have to worry about anything. Amen? I mean, I've spoken to you about the eternal things, but he even speaks to us about the earthly things. We have no care or concern for the fact of what we have in this world. God will take care of us. As the old song says, right? God will take care of you. 
every way throughout the day. If that is the case, then let us seek Him. Don't be worried. See that God's got it planned out. He's got a projected future. Therefore be unmovable. Therefore be steadfast. Therefore be always abounding in the work of the Lord. I fear that sometimes we as believers can run into a rough spot and then we stop abounding. We stop moving forward. We stop growing. We get a rough patch. I found out that this past couple of weeks ago that one thing that is dreadful on icy and snowing conditions is to stop. That is a dreadful thing. Because if you stop, momentum quits. And you shut sometimes can't get going again. <laughs> that is not a fun thing. Well, I was just over here in the neighborhood and I took a right-hand turn and, and I really had the momentum going. And I, But it was a turn and a hill at the same time. And I hit that thing and it just, and I, and I, and I said, well, and I, I started, and I stopped. Bad move. <laughs> I felt that thing, I felt the suburban start to go backwards down the hill this way. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do? I was could see the stop sign getting closer to the bumper, and uh, I didn't want to go home with that report or anything to my wife or anything. So I put it in drive, and I hit the gas and did a 180 back to the back to the back 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 to the opposite way, man. I said, you know what? You don't want to stop. I was coming to the stop sign here just uh, when all that ice was coming. I thought, man, I'm doing good. I'm going up a hill, and I was getting ready to turn left. And here come a car. Oh, no, I can't stop. I gotta keep moving. When we, so many times we hit a rough patch in life, and maybe we just want to stop. We just want to quit. We just want to give up. We just want to rest a while, right? That's what Elisha did. He said, I just I, I'm done. I ran 40, I ran a, a marathon. I'm done with this thing. Forget this. Kill me. Kill me. You know, I'm done. We can't do that, folks. Jesus has done too much for us for us to quit. Amen? Mm-hmm. He's, done, he's done way too much. He's, let me say it like this. He's gone too far. He went to death and came back again for us. You ever thought about it like that? He went to death and then came back again. That's a long journey. None of us have been on that journey before. We've never gone to death and come back. And ain't nobody else in this world that's done that either, except a handful of them. They all died again. So wouldn't it be cool to be resurrected? I don't know. <laughs> if you're a Lazarus, you've got to die twice. You know? Here's the thing, folks. We have a projected future. We have a projected future. Go over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Always about. There's another passage here. He says in Galatians 6, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's another similar passage in text that you find over in the book of Galatians, chapter number 6, and verse number 9. And this, we see here, that if we're going to abound in the work of the Lord that's called us to and remain steadfast, then we need to see we, that God has called us to work on a very practical farm. A very practical farm. I didn't, you probably didn't know this, but when you got saved, you became a farmer. He says here in verse number 7, he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There it is. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Whatever you do for God is not in vain. God doesn't forget a cup of cold water given in His name. That's pretty insignificant. If you ask me, I think that's kind of the point of the text right there. It's a very insignificant act to give somebody a cup of cold water. But God says, I don't even forget that. I not forget anything. I reward it. I am, as, as Phil so uh, pointedly said many times, he's a rewarder, a rewarder, a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so in our particular case here, we see that uh, he tells us that we ought to not be weary in well-doing. Now, oftentimes we preach this text and not preached it this way before, and I'll probably preach it like this again, but oftentimes we preach this particular text and we say, that in verse number uh, in verse number eight, he that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. And we oftentimes say, oh, well, if we'll sow to the flesh, and uh, what we mean by that is if we'll sow to wicked things in life, then we'll reap uh, corrupted corruption. But if we'll sow to the spirit, then we will reap, or that means we'll sow to practical, or excuse me, we'll sow to uh, good things, spiritual things, then we'll reap life. Everlasting. Like I said, I think it's a valid point, no doubt about it. Go back to Galatians chapter number 5 and see the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit, and I think it falls in line very well with all of that. But with the content of this message, remaining steady in unsteady times, I want us to see here with this particular point here is that in the context of Galatians chapter number 6, what he's preaching at and trying to get across to in this context here is that he's telling us that if we... If we meet our own needs, our own wants, we meet our own desires, that's, that's corrupt. What is, what is that going to advantage us? If life is all about me, and I don't mean bad stuff, I just mean that, and I'm not saying this is bad or anything, but let's just say, you see something nice in the store, and you say, I, I want to buy that. Okay? It's a jacket, a gun, you know, anything, all right? A car. Let's say you need a car, okay? You buy it for yourself. That's corruptible. You sow to yourself. Now, that's corruption. What's going to happen with that? In the end, it's going to need fixed, it's going to break down, blah, 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 blah. It's going to, eventually it's going to end up in the junkyard, okay? Eventually it's going to end up in the trash can, and it served its purpose, that's fine. 
There's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not saying that. That's not what the text I believe is saying. The point is this. He says there, he that so into the spirit shall reap life everlasting. You buy a jacket for somebody else in Christian love for the gospel's sake and put it on their back. Well, that same jacket that could have been bought for you is still going to end up in the trash heap one day. Amen? But it's not going to be forgot by God. Does that make sense? I know we need clothes. I know we need cars. I know we need stuff in life. Don't get me wrong with that. But the point being is this, is that God is very particular in the things that He gets across in our, in the, in the, in our message. For instance, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1-3, through 3, going back to the context here, is that in this particular case here, he says, Brethren, if somebody be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, consider thyself also, unless I'll be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, so to fill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. What's the point here? The point is very simple. Is that when we're trying to help others, even through very difficult matters, is that God is pleased with this. And let's just take that a step further. When we're discipling somebody or helping somebody or ministering to somebody through the Word of God and trying to increase their faith and, uh, and, and allow them to grow in the Spirit of Christ, my friend, God never forgets those things. That is sowing to the Spirit. That is reaping life everlasting. That is never lost in the sight of God. God, like I said, doesn't miss a cup of cold water. He doesn't miss anything. When we're helping others to grow in their faith, that is remaining steadfast during difficult times. When we hit a rough patch, when oftentimes when Christians hit a rough patch in life and we don't remain steady, you know what we often leave off first? Many times, and we're all guilty of this, I'll raise my hand. But we're all guilty. We can, let me put it like this, we can all be guilty of the very first thing that when we hit a tough time in life is that we leave off serving other people. We leave that off. We stop praying for other people and we stop praying, start praying for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves. I'm not saying that. But how oftentimes does suffering make us stop serving? It does. We get self-conceited. Self, uh, we look inwardly. We don't look outwardly. And we can begin to think that life is about me now and now I need to be served. Right? I need to be served. And there's definitely times where People that are hurting definitely need to be served. I'm not saying that. But I'm speaking introspectively. Look at yourself. What are you saying whenever you're suffering? Are you going to leave off serving? Whenever Jesus was suffering, let's just take our ultimate example, right? When Jesus was suffering on the cross, I just read it this morning, so I'm pretty sure it's still there. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus was suffering, he had a band of soldiers that were taking him to, to prison, and Peter thinks it's a good idea to get out the sword and cut off some dude's ear. Alright? 
What does Jesus do? He picks up the ear. Can you imagine being there that day? You know what I mean? Uh, there's an ear on the ground, flopping there, you know, bleeding or whatever, you know. And he, I don't think the ears flop, do they, John? <laughs> picks up the ear and he puts it back on his head. Suffering, but serving. Suffering, but serving. I mean, that's Christ. And I think that's what Christian means. It means little Christ. We ought to be like Jesus. We ought to be like him in this aspect that we're continuing to help others even though we're hurting. We're hurting. That is, that is, that is very difficult to do, okay? But the, the point is, that's true Christianity when you look at it. Is that when you're hurting, you're still able to help someone. Does anybody know somebody like that sometimes? You don't have to raise a hand or anything, but you know somebody like that. They're like in the hospital, and like you go to see them. I mean, I've, 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 I've met people like this before. You go to see them, they're in the hospital, they're laying there, they're like, oh, you can hear them, they're like moaning <laughs> before you get in the room. And, oh, I don't even want to go in there, man. <laughs> Should I bother them, you know? Maybe I should just pray outside the door. Dear Lord, help so-and-so. You know? <laughs> go in. This dear old saint of God, she's served God for many years, and she looks, oh, pastor, so good to see you. Is there anything I can pray for you about? <laughs> it's like, pray for you, man. I need to pray for you. You know, you're hurting. Doug's mom's like that. You know what I mean? Uh, that's the way she is, it seems like. And it's, it's, they're, they're suffering, but they're serving. Praise God for that. How else do you do this? We'll look at verse number six and we'll hasten on here. He says, let him that is taught in the word communicate into him that teacheth in all good things. Here's a second aspect that concerns how we communicate to those that teach us in the faith. The word communicate in our text here means to literally assist financially the person that is teaching you. I know sometimes we shy away from talking about paying people that are preachers and pastors and missionaries and evangelists and all those kinds of things because we're so, I guess, hurt by charismatic and movements and other movements and other pastors and people that take advantage of people, of course, with finances. But, of course, it's in the Scriptures. And one way in which we remain abounding is by giving and helping those that minister in the gospel. I thought Phil did an excellent job with that, with an excellent illustration with that. You, you give money in the plate on the love offering, and guess what? You don't get anything back from it. You, know? you put money in the plate on Sunday or whatever day to give to a missionary, I'm going to just give you a heads up on this. You're not getting a check, Okay. You're not, you're not going to get anything back from that missionary that, uh, you know, that was a great investment for you. And, you know, you're going to get 3% back on your return and all those kinds of things. You're not going to get that. But you know what you do get is that that money that went in there, that money, okay, that money that you spent at Starbucks that morning, that was corruptible. All right? You suck that thing down, got your caffeine high, you're good to go for church and for the rest of the day. But you know what? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting your getting your I love coffee, alright? But here's the deal. That same amount of money that you put in the plate to give to somebody else, guess what? That's not corruptible. 
Because that's given to God and His servant so that the gospel can be to be, continue to be forwarded on. And my friend, He doesn't forget a cup of cold water. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Continuing on to abound for God. And then finally, let me say this. In verse number 10, He says this. He says, he says he talks about ministering to those that need help, ministering to those that teach the gospel, and then he just finally puts a caveat on it. Says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto the household of faith. Uh, let's do good unto all men. Man, I don't know if anybody. I haven't really shared this with the, with, the, with the church, but man, I've had churches and people contact me. We've had over a thousand dollars come in just for this little disaster, just for a disaster relief. People I don't even know. I mean, it's a blessing. Got a call, got a got a. Um, I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you who it is right now. Is uh, I don't know. I I don't know a church right now that that got hit hard or ceilings collapsed or anything like that. But my father-in-law was just talking to me, and you know what? Their beach they run nothing but heat strips down there. Five hundred dollar electric bill. And it's, they don't have very much money. So I said, you know what? We have a disaster relief fund that can help somebody out. We've got, we've got a couple people here. We've got some folks that, you know what? Maybe, maybe they need this or maybe they need that. The point is this. Is that are we helping somebody, whoever it might be, as we therefore have an opportunity? Uh, you, don't, you don't always have the opportunity to help somebody. Amen? But when you do, he says do it. Do it. It's a good thing. It helps somebody out. Many things can be involved here. The point being is this, is that we do not, we reap if we faint not. Did you catch that? He says, let us not be weary in prayer doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You're going to reap the rewards but don't quit early. Amen? Don't stop short. Don't let the rough patches hang you up and then you get held back and don't continue on in the race and finish what God has called us to. How many people quit too early? Right? How many people quit too early? How many people quit their jobs too early? How many quit their marriages too early? How many quit uh, searching for something they've been looking for too early? How many people quit things just too early? I mean, if it was just another day, what if you would have prayed for that person one more day? I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if that would have got saved. I don't know if their life would have changed. But how many times do we just fall short? We don't keep going. Be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Moving forward. It doesn't mean you be progressive. No, you stay by the stuff. Amen? But you move forward. Abounding. Abounding. I close with this biblical illustration from Nehemiah. To me, there's nothing more move, nothing more unmovable in life than a wall. A wall just kind of stands there and looks at you and grunts. And goes, move me. <laughs> it doesn't want to move. But in Nehemiah, you see the wall moving. Because in Nehemiah, the wall is unbuilt, unfurnished, 
It's really nothing but a trash heap all along the sides of the all along the sides of the of the of the city. But week after week, day after day, month after month, what do you see happening? You see a wall start to come together, and gates, and lockets, and pins, and mortar, and they're working with one hand with a trowel, and one hand with a sword, and they're just working and building, and working and building, and working and building. And the Bible tells us that as they were increasing and in building, the Bible says in Nehemiah 4, 6, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. Listen, here it is, and this is what I want you to hear tonight as we close. For the people had a mind to work. A mind to work. And that's how it is in life. A mind to work. A mind that doesn't surrender to doubt. A mind that doesn't surrender to naysayers and complainers and people that say, if you don't have the right permit, uh, like St. Ballard and Tobiah was saying. I mean, people that were saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't meet, and you can't say this, and you can't do that. Praise God for some churches that were out there and said, you know what? They said we can't sing to, to the Lord, but my Bible says to sing to God. We're going to sing. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen? Thank God for people that got a mind to work, to continue on, that don't surrender to nothing. I know that's bad English, but man, it sure does sound good in my North Carolinian thoughts right there. That don't surrender to nothing. Nothing. They don't give up, but they keep pressing on. We don't want to be like the people in Ephesians 4.14, okay? You don't want to be somebody that's tossed to and fro, right? And carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, it says. And cutting craftiness. It all lies in our minds. None of these things move me. I have all and abound, Paul says. Again, he says, in whatsoever state I am, therewith have I learned to be content. He says again, the Lord will help me. Or excuse me. In Isaiah, speaking of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is a reference to him. It says, the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Confounded. Put to naught is the idea right there. That's a testimony of Jesus Christ whenever he set his face as a flint. You know what a flint is, don't you? Very hard rock, if you will. He said, I hardened my face and I am not going to be moved. I will not be distracted off my course. Calvary is where I'm going. I'm going to the cross and there ain't nobody going to stop me from getting there. I am going to do what the Father has sent me to do and that's what He did. He didn't stop short. He didn't give up. And He is our example. Let Christ be your example. Let Christ be your example. Let Christ be your example. When it's time for when you're suffering, don't quit serving. Amen? When you're hurting, don't quit helping. Whenever, whenever times are difficult, say, you know what? Yes, times are difficult, but you know what I've got? I've got a projected future. Amen? I'm going to glory one day. Satan might steal a lot of things from me, but I'll tell you one thing he ain't stealing. He ain't stealing this salvation that Jesus has given me. 
Because that's not any, it's not something he can steal. I'm in my Father's hand, I'm in Jesus' hand, and there's no man that shall pluck me out of my Father's hand. Forever to be with the Lord. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, listen, here it is. Here's the close. For as 1 Peter 4, 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, and this is what I've been preaching all night, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Did you catch that? Arm. You know what that means? Everybody say, take up arms. Bear arms. What does that mean in our Constitution? It means, means grab a gun. Grab, grab a weaponry. Bear arms. Arm yourself. You know what? Serving, helping, ministering, humble Christian is a very dangerous weapon in the hand of God. Satan in his foes. Somebody, some girl, some little boy, some man, some woman, some family that will surrender completely to Christ, my friend, is a very dangerous weapon placed in the hand of God. God can use somebody like a Nehemiah. It was just a cupbearer. Last time I checked, I don't think he had any credentials on wall building. Last time I checked, Noah had no credentials on ark building. Moses really had no credentials on Red Sea splitting. Mary had no credentials on how to be a first person and only person to ever be given a virgin birth. But these were people, as Mary says, a handmaid of the Lord, surrender, serve, whatever capacity God is called to Let us not count our lives dear unto ourselves. God is not a white-suited salesman. Trying to sell you some model of elixir for your modern day ills. Just to take your money and throw you to the curb. Oh, my friend, God is a great God. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast. Unmoved. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We shall reap. If we thank God, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. May God help us to abound, even when we face great doubt in our life. Father, we're thankful for your many blessings, your goodness, and grace.